I don't know about you, but I hate to be ignored. Don't you hate it when people ignore you? You walk up maybe to a place of business and people or just ignore the fact that you're standing there. Uh, I, I, I hate to be ignored. But here's the deal. I, I believe in our culture today, the church is, is largely being ignored. Now, evangelicals are mentioned in the political cycle, who's supporting what candidate and all of that. But when it comes to our message, what we stand for, as long as we're just in our buildings doing our thing, the culture just, just kind of ignores what we are all about. And what's happened in our culture is the church has made very little impact and has become largely irrelevant to what is happening in our nation. So here's the question. How can we turn this community and this state and this nation upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ? How can we go from being largely ignored to having major impact in people's lives? Well, the answer to that question is found in the book of Acts. So turn with me to Acts chapter 17 as we continue our study through this book. Acts chapter 17. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. Acts chapter 17, verse 1. We're working our way through the book of Acts, line by line, verse by verse. We've made it to this chapter. Acts 17, verse 1. I'd like to ask you this morning, if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Just a reminder... The Bible is truth with no mixture of error. It's the living Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. I'm grateful for the Bible today. How about you? Acts 17, verse 1. The Bible says, When they had passed through Amphipolis, this is Paul and Silas' missionary team, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, and as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men, now watch this, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things, and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, or a bribe, they let them go. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we pause yet again to give you glory. Lord, you are the reason that we're here. You are the center of attention. Lord, our eyes are on you. Our our minds and our our hearts are focused upon you. And I pray, Lord, that today you would use your word in our lives, applied to our hearts by your Spirit, 
that we might be changed. And God, would you mobilize us as individuals, as families, as a church, would you mobilize us to turn the world upside down with the gospel? And we'll thank you and praise you for that grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, as we studied last week in Acts 16, we saw Paul and his team in Philippi. Some amazing things happened to them in Philippi. And under some pressure from people in that city, they leave Philippi. And in verse 1 it says they pass through Amphipolis. Now, Amphipolis was uh, the next city on the Ignatian Way. The Ignatian Way was a major highway in the Roman Empire. And they left Philippi, went about a day's journey to Amphipolis, and then another day's journey to Apollonia, and then another day's journey to Thessalonica. Thessalonica was about 100 miles away from Philippi, and Thessalonica was a major city. As a matter of fact, Thessalonica was the capital of Macedonia, uh, of that uh, area. And Thessalonica was situated on sort of an intersection of major trade routes. It had a very accessible harbor as well. So Thessalonica was a bustling city of commerce. It had about 100,000 people in that city, and it was uh, filled with, uh, with flourishing uh, businesses and trade. Thessalonica was also a very religious city. The people in that city uh, worshipped the, the Greco-Roman pantheon. Also, there was emperor worship happening in that city, and Paul and his team come riding into town or walking into town, and they go to the synagogue, the Jewish gathering in that city, and they begin their ministry there sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we see what transpires, and we see that the people in the city uh, don't ignore Paul and his team. Paul and his team are making an impact. So let me just kind of sum up what happens in Thessalonica with, with this sentence, and this is in your notes. On Paul's second missionary journey... Thessalonica was impacted in a mighty way. On Paul's second missionary journey, Thessalonica was impacted in a mighty way. And I want you to think of it like this. Some embraced the message and some rejected the message, but no one in Thessalonica could ignore the message. Some embraced it, some rejected it, but no one could ignore it. And I pray that God will use us in such a way that even though some may reject us and others accept our message, I pray that no one can ignore the ministry happening through the people of Longview Point Baptist Church. So how do we live that kind of life? How do we make that kind of difference? Well, there are at least three elements that come straight from our text that give us some insight into how we can be a church that turns the world upside down with the good news. Three critical elements of changing a community. Here's the first critical element. The unchanging message of the gospel. The unchanging message of the gospel. Notice what it says there in verse 2. Paul went in as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer to rise from the dead. Now we see here that Paul goes into the synagogue and shares with them the gospel. And I want to make several comments about the gospel, what this gospel message is. First of all, the gospel is a, is a biblical message. It's a biblical message. Did you notice what it said there in verse 2? It says, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them. Now look at this next phrase. From 
the Scriptures. He reasoned with them from the Scriptures. In other words, his message that he was sharing had a basis. It was built upon the authority of the Word of God. And we need to remember that the Gospel is a biblical message. Now, when it says there from the Scriptures, speaking of the Old Testament, the New Testament was not in a completed form yet, so he's sharing with them the Gospel of Jesus Christ from the Old Testament Scriptures, which pointed forward to what Christ would do for us. And he's, he's reasoning with them from the Word of God. And we need to remember that the basis for what we share, the basis for the authority of our message, is the Word of God. We're, in other words, we're not making this stuff up. This message that we share week after week after week after week is a message that is rooted in the truths of the Word of God. That is our authority. It is a biblical message. Now, this was different because people would write into Thessalonica and Athens and Corinth and Ephesus and Philippi, and they would kind of be traveling philosophers. They would come and share this new philosophy that they had, they, they had thought up and, and would want to try to get people to follow their philosophical musings. Well, Paul is not riding into town with a new philosophy. He's riding into town with an unchanging message rooted in God's Word. And so the gospel is rooted in the Bible. Years ago, I talked to a friend that, um, that I came to know in college. We were good buddies in college, and, and after we graduated, kind of went our separate directions, we got connected on a phone call one day, and, and I was asking how he was doing, and, and the conversation turned to a, a spiritual conversation. And I began to ask him some spiritual questions, and here's what he said. He said, wait, uh, listen, I believe that all roads lead to God. No matter which religion you choose, which faith you choose, if you're just sincere about your faith and you try to help people out and be a good person, that any road, any religion will eventually get you to God. And I said to him, I said, well, that all sounds good, but here's the question. What are you basing that upon? What's your basis for believing that? Where did you get that message from? He said, well, that's just the way that I feel. Listen to me. You don't want to stand before God one day believing in your feelings, believing in something that you thought up with your own feelings. You want to stand before God standing on the firm foundation of the Word of God. And so it's a message that is rooted in the Scripture. But secondly, the gospel is centered on the work of Christ. It has content to it. The goodness has content to it. Look what it says there in verse 2. He reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. So the, the, the central theme of his message is what Jesus Christ has done. And that's what the gospel is all about. What Jesus Christ has done. In other words, we are sharing something that happened in human history that will meet our greatest need. You see, our greatest need is to have our sin dealt with, right? We're all sinners, and our sin separates us from a holy God. So the only way we can have a relationship with God that goes on beyond death into eternity is to have our sin problem dealt with. And that's why Jesus left heaven and came to earth. He came to deal with our sin problem. He took on human flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He was born fully God, fully man, and he lived a perfect life. And of his own volition, Jesus went to the cross. 
He suffered at the hands of evil men and he allowed them to nail him to a Roman cross. And from nine in the morning to three in the afternoon, Jesus hung on that cross. And let me explain to you what was happening. On the cross, Jesus became our sin. He took your sin and my sin, all the wrong things we've ever done, ever thought, ever said. He took all of our sin and placed them on his shoulders. He became our sin. And on the cross... God the Father was punishing Jesus the Son in our place. The punishment that we deserve was being poured out upon Christ. He was our substitutionary atonement. He died for our sins. He took the penalty. Then after he died on the cross, he was buried. And early on the third day, he rose from the dead. He defeated death itself. The resurrection proved that Jesus was who he said he was and that he could do what he said he could do. The resurrection proved that God had accepted his payment for our sins. It says in Romans 4 that, we, that Jesus was raised for our justification. It, it, it proved that the Father accepted his payment for our sins on our behalf. So he defeated sin at the cross. He defeated death when he rose from the grave. And because Jesus came and died and rose, we can be saved. Our sin, which separates us from God, can be taken away, washed away in the blood of the Lamb. Amen? That's really, really good news. It's centered on the work of Christ. Jesus did something in human history that meets our greatest need. Because of the finished work of Christ, our sins can be forgiven. And notice this, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, were necessary for our salvation. Notice what he says there in verse 3. He says he was explaining, proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. That word necessary is a small word in the Greek language, the word dei, D-E-I. And it means that it had to happen. In other words... For our sins to be dealt with, Jesus had to die and Jesus had to rise from the dead. In other words, there's no other way for us to deal with our sin other than embracing what Jesus Christ has done for us. It was necessary that he die. It was necessary that he rise from the dead. And so here's the the summary of what I want to say to you. We are not saved through works. Now I want you to hear me clearly on that. See, a lot of people think that that if they just do some good things, then they will go to heaven when they die. And that is unbiblical. That's not what the Bible teaches. Because listen to me, no matter how many good things you do, you've got sin that needs to be forgiven. And if your sin is not forgiven, you will not go to heaven and be in the presence of a holy God. Your sin must be washed away. And good works don't wash away your sin. Only Jesus can wash away your sin. Only in trusting in what he has done for you can your sin be washed away. So we are not saved by works or through works, but by trusting in his finished work. That's how a person is saved, by faith. By trusting that what Jesus did for you, dying on the cross, rising from the dead, is your only hope. See, salvation comes when you turn. You say, I'm going to stop trying to save myself because I can't. And I want to turn and embrace Christ, who is my only hope. That's when a person is saved. We're not saved through works. We're saved by trusting in the finished work of Christ, the only one who can wash away our sins. So that's the unchanging message of the Gospels. Rooted in the Scriptures is centered on the work of Christ. Now here's a question. That's really good news for sinners. Amen? 
why would anyone want to distort or downplay or dilute that message? Because there are groups of people that call themselves churches all across America, and they have backed away from that message. The message I just shared, they've backed away from the truth of the gospel. Because they want their their message to be more palatable for a secular culture. And they don't want to offend people or, or make people feel uncomfortable. So they just dilute the gospel or distort the gospel or just don't even talk about the gospel. But the message of the gospel is our only hope, right? Why would we back away from that message? It made me think about Naaman the Syrian. You remember the story of Naaman over in 2 Kings? Naaman was a captain of, of, uh, in the army of the Syrians, a great leader, great warrior. But the Bible records that Naaman had leprosy. And, and Naaman, in one of his raids in Israel, had taken some slaves, some Jewish slaves. One of the slaves was a young girl, and she became his household slave. And this girl was an evangelist. She sees that Naaman, her master, has leprosy. She says, you know what? There's a prophet in Israel who can, who can heal you of your leprosy. His name's Elisha. So Naaman says, let's go see Elisha. So he gets his horses and chariots and his entourage, this very important man in Syria, this, this, this warrior, and they go riding in Israel. And they come up to Elisha's house, and Elisha doesn't even come out of the house. Here's this important man. I'm here to get my healing. Elisha sends a servant out and says, here's, here's, the, here's the deal. If he wants to be healed from his leprosy, he needs to go into the Jordan River, the Jewish River, an offense to a Syrian. You need to go to that Jordan River and, and dip down below it seven times and he'll be made clean. That was what God had shown Elisha as to how this leper would be healed. And when Naaman first hears that message, he's offended. I don't want to do all that. I didn't come to go into a Jewish river and wash off seven times. I just want him to pronounce my healing. In other words, is there another way I can be healed, a way I'm more comfortable with? But notice, Elisha doesn't change the message. There's only one way for you to be healed. You've got to go to the Jordan and be washed and be made clean. And one of his uh, servants says, uh, Naaman, should you listen to him? He's a prophet, maybe. He's, got, he's onto something here. And so, so Naaman goes to the Jordan River, he dips below the water, and guess what? His leprosy is taken away. He is healed because he responded to the one way he could be healed. Listen to me. There's only one way a person can be saved. It's only through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So we dare not change that message to make people more comfortable because if we make them more comfortable and they don't get the truth of the message, they will die and go to hell. Right? We dare not back away. From the truth of the gospel. There's only one way. So we see here in this text the unchanging message of the gospel. But there's a second thing here, second critical element. It's the uncompromising sharing of the gospel. And this is where this text is going to get into our business a little bit. The uncompromising sharing of the gospel. Look what it says in verse 2. Paul went in, as was his custom, on the three Sabbath days. He reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving. So we see here that Paul is meeting with these Jews in the synagogue, sharing the gospel message. Now listen to me. The gospel is meant to be shared. 
The gospel is meant to be shared. Because the word actually means, literally means, euangelion, it literally means good news. And what is good news if you don't share it, right? Matter of fact, I read a quote uh, recently that said, good news is only good news to someone if they hear it in time. Good news is meant to be shared. When I think about good news, I think about the, the movies maybe set in the 20s. You think of these, these young boys that are selling papers. They're on the corner. They're saying, extra, extra, read all about it, right? they got some news. They're trying to sell papers. We've got some news. Good news. And God wants us to share it. The gospel in, in its very nature is meant to be shared. So here's the question. How do we do that? How do we share the gospel? Practically speaking, how can we be like Paul and engage people with that good news message? Well, let me give you several thoughts here. Number one, this is where it's hard for most of us. Begin a conversation. Begin a conversation. You will never lead someone to faith in Christ if you don't start a conversation with them. Notice what it says there in verse 2. It says, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. That word reason is an interesting word. The, the root of that word in the Greek language is where we get the word dialogue from. So, so Paul is dialoguing with the, the Jews in the synagogue. He wasn't standing preaching behind a pulpit. As a matter of fact, uh, teachers in the synagogue usually sat down. And he's probably using the Socratic method, question and answer, to talk to them about Jesus. So he's having a conversation with them about the gospel. And if we're going to engage other people with the good news, we've got to begin a conversation. And that's what's hard for us, isn't it? How will they respond? You know, maybe they'll be offended, it'll be uncomfortable. So how do you begin a conversation? Well, there's a lot of things I could say here, and, and i got a lot of things running through my mind about evangelism and some things we may do in the future in terms of training. But, but let me just give you two quick ways, two very simple ways, you can engage someone in a spiritual conversation. Number one, ask them where they go to church. So you go to church anywhere? Are you plugged into a church family? Or, or are you active in a church family? Their answer will tell you a lot. It really will. Um, I was uh, in Memphis when I was pastoring up there, and I was knocking on doors. And uh, I, I knocked on the door of this one guy, and uh, I asked him about his church background. And he said, well, I'm, I'm a member at Bellevue Baptist. And I said, oh, I, I just love Adrian Rogers. Listen to me. He didn't know who Adrian Rogers was. This was back when Adrian Rogers was still alive. So I just gleaned, you know, I, 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 you know, I'm no rocket scientist, but I gleaned this man may not be active in church, right, right. And so I began to just talk to him, and, and it's just sometimes it's just a good bridge to talk to people about the, the, the good news because after you ask them about their church affiliation, they answer it and maybe give you some insight. You can then say, "Listen, uh, that's important, but going to church doesn't save you." There's only one way to be saved, and then you can share the good news. Just, it's just that simple. I found that to be a very effective way in the Bible Belt to get people talking about spiritual things. Here's another great way to begin a spiritual conversation. Ask them if you can pray for them. Or say, do you have anything I can pray about for you? And just in the, the course of your conversation, you'd be surprised at how vulnerable people will get and how they'll share some very private things with you because they want somebody to pray for them. Most people, I've, I've had very few people through the years 
refuse my prayer for them or say, I don't want you to pray for me. Very few people will say that. And so just, hey, can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? You'd be amazed at how that can begin a spiritual conversation or give you some insight into what's going on in their life so you can meet their needs with the good news. And so we've got to begin a conversation. There's a lot more I could say there. It takes boldness, but just ask God to open doors and, and give you sensitivity to the Spirit so that you can... Turn a conversation in a spiritual direction. Listen to me. Talking to people about football will not get them to heaven. Amen? I mean, it's, I, you know, I like to talk about football as much as the next guy, but, but football doesn't save. Can I get an amen? Only Jesus saves. You've got you to tur- turn the conversation in a spiritual direction. And so start or begin a conversation. Here's the second thing, and this is so important. Open the Scriptures. Open the Scriptures. Look what it says in verse 3. He reasoned with them... From the scriptures. And then look at the next two words. It says there in verse 3. Explaining and proving. Explaining and proving. That word explaining literally means to open. So he was opening up the Bible. He was explaining it to them. And the next word proving means to, to place before or to place alongside. Here's what Paul was doing. He was opening the Old Testament and saying, These are the verses that talk about the Messiah and what he would do for us. And then he would say, Here's what Jesus did when he came. And and Jesus has fulfilled, he placed them alongside each other. Jesus has fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. He was explaining and proving how the Old Testament pointed to Jesus Christ. And so by using the scriptures, he was sharing the good news. He was appealing to ancient texts, not making stuff up as he went, appealing to ancient texts, showing how those texts had been fulfilled in Christ. So here's a good pointer for you when talking to people about Jesus. Listen to me. Use Scripture. Because when you're using Scripture, you're using the very words of God. And when you share the good news from the Scriptures, the Bible says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So if you want power in your conversation, share the good news using Scripture. Memorize some key verses. John 3.16, for God to love the world, he gave his only begotten son, whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, to speak of God's love and him sending his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Romans 3.10, there's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 10.9, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Romans 10.13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 5.8, God has proven his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Learn those verses. No, those weren't long verses. Learn those verses. If you, if you need help with that, email me. I'll send you some specific verses to learn to underline in your Bible. And learn those verses so that when you talk to somebody about Jesus, you have actual scripture to share. There's power in that. We, we have Southern Baptists, listen to me, that are twisted into knots when a cult comes and knocks on their door. Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, they're a cult. Jehovah's Witness, they're a cult. They believe things that are antithetical to the word of God. They're a cult. And, and they come to our doors and we're, we wring our hands. We don't know what to say. Listen to me. Next time someone comes to your door, just quote the Bible. If nothing else, just quote John 3.16 and say, here's what I believe. And, and just share scripture. There's power in scripture. Talk to people 
based upon what the Bible says. And so, begin a conversation, use the Bible. Here's the third thing, learn to announce truth with confidence. Look what it says in verse 3. Verse 3. It says, he was explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. That word saying is an interesting word. The word saying is katangelo. It means to proclaim or to announce, to speak out. So Paul is not cowering. He's going to say very clearly, hey, here's what the Bible teaches. There is a Messiah. He's come. His name is Jesus. we got to learn. To just, just share the truth and, and put it out there. They're responsible for how they respond to it. But it is our job to clearly share the truth. To not back away from the truth. So learn to, to share, announce truth with confidence. Because you're standing on the firm foundation of the Word of God. There's a lot more I could say about evangelism. But that's a good starting place. Begin a conversation. Use the Scriptures. And learn to announce truth with confidence. Don't back away from what you know to be true. There's a book titled Evangelism written by a man named Max Stiles. Max Stiles leads a college ministry at a church in the Middle East. And the foreword to that book was written by David Platt, who's the president of our International Mission Board. And in that foreword, he talks about the church where Max Stiles serves. I want to just read to you what he says about that church in this foreword. He says that I was preaching at that church one morning, and after I finished, Mac started introducing me to all sorts of people. Here's the general gist of how those conversations went, though I've changed the names. Hi, my name is Abdul, one man said to me. I grew up as a Muslim, but a couple of years ago, God graciously saved me from my sins and myself through Christ. That's wonderful, I responded. How did you hear the gospel? Through my friendship with Mac, Abdul said, He asked me one day if I wanted to read through the Gospel of Mark with him. I told him I was willing. And within a few months, the Holy Spirit had opened my heart to believe. Then, David Platt writes, I turned to another man who introduced himself. Hi, I'm Rajesh. I was a Hindu all my life until someone invited me to this church. I didn't know anything about Christianity until I got here, but Mac and others started meeting with me and showing me who Christ is and what Christ has done. I was overwhelmed. After exploring all sorts of questions that I had with Mac... I trusted in Christ for my salvation. Behind Abdul and Rajesh was Matthew. Matthew said to me, I grew up in a nominal Christian home devoid of any relationship with Christ, but last year God opened my eyes to what faith in Christ truly means. I repented of my sins and believed in Him. Let me guess, I said. Mac led you to Christ, right? No, Matthew said. Abdul and Rajesh did. They spent hours with me in Scripture. Do you hear that? Hours with me in Scripture. Showing me what it means to follow Christ. Then Matthew asked me, can I introduce you to Stephen? He's a friend of mine who is exploring Christianity right now. He came with me to church this morning. These conversations, David Platt writes, went on and on with person after person. I stood literally amazed by the grace of God. Not just upon one Christian passionate about sharing the gospel, but upon an entire, listen, an entire community passionate about sharing the gospel. As I looked around, he writes, I observed a contagious culture of evangelism across the church. It is a culture of evangelism 
that is not ultimately dependent on events, projects, programs, and ministry professionals. Instead, it is a culture of evangelism that is built on people filled with the power of God's Spirit, proclaiming the gospel of God's grace in the context of their everyday lives and relationships. Let me read that last sentence again. It is a culture of evangelism that is built on people filled with the power of God's Spirit, proclaiming the gospel of God's grace in the context of their everyday lives and relationships. See, what amazed David Platt at that church is not that they just had some staff members that were sharing the gospel, ministry professionals, but that the congregation had captured the spirit of evangelism. And there was a culture of evangelism that permeated the entire body. And folks were being saved, radically saved by the grace of God. So what do you want for Longview Point Baptist Church? I pray that we will, be, we will become a church that has a culture of evangelism. It just becomes second nature to our church to share that good news so that we cannot be ignored by our culture. We might be rejected. They might accept our message, but they won't ignore us as we turn the world upside down. And so we see here in this text the unchanging gospel, the, the uncompromising sharing of the gospel. But in third and last, I want you to see the unseen partner of the gospel. The unseen partner of the gospel. Notice what it says there in verse 4. It says, Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a, a, a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. So Jews got saved and non-Jews got saved, Gentiles or Greeks, and so, so the women got saved, men got saved. Amazing things are happening here. And then because the world's being turned upside down, the authorities get uh, get angry that the Jewish leaders didn't want to lose their influence in the synagogues. They bring them into the marketplace and they drag them before the authorities and accuse them of, of overthrowing the rule of Caesar. And they say they're, th- they're turning the world upside down and a riot begins, but then uh, Jason pays a bribe and they let him go. So it's an amazing story. But what I want to focus in on is verse 4. It says, some of them were persuaded. Now here's the question. How were these folks persuaded to trust Christ? Was it, the, was it the oratorical ability of Paul? Was it the, the sharp, keen, theological mind of Paul? How were they persuaded to be saved? Well, there's an interesting answer to this. The first answer is this. They were persuaded to embrace Jesus by the power of the gospel. Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it is the power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Many of you have been to Uganda to work with Pastor George. We send teams over there to train leaders in that growing church planting movement. Pastor George has been in our church and preached. I love Pastor George. But if you went to Kosoro in southern Uganda, right there where Uganda and uh, Congo and Rwanda come together, you went to Kasori Hill Baptist Church, you would see the pulpit, and you would see this big banner behind the pulpit. And you probably wouldn't understand it because it's written in Kifumbira, but it is Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. You say, Wade, why is God moving in such mighty ways in southern Uganda through Pastor George? and these other leaders, and these churches that are being started, because they are not ashamed of the gospel. 
they're not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel has life-changing power. Amen? The gospel, it wasn't Paul's keen insight. It wasn't Paul's oratory. It was the power of the gospel, but also it was the power of the Spirit. The power of the Spirit. That's why I call this point the unseen partner of the gospel. The Spirit of God is at work. You say, wait, where do you get that from? I don't see anything about the Holy Spirit in this text. So where are you getting the the point that, that the Spirit is working here to change lives? Well, here's what's interesting. After Paul left Thessalonica, shortly thereafter, he wrote a letter back to the Christians in that city. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he explains to them what was happening here in Acts 17. I want you to look. Look in 1 Thessalonians 1 with me very quickly. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 4. Paul's explaining this moment in Acts 17 when they heard the gospel and were saved. Look what he says. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. So that's how we know that the Spirit was at work in Acts chapter 17. Paul was sharing the gospel. There's power in the gospel. And the Spirit was accompanying the gospel to transform lives. So wait, why is it so important that the Holy Spirit is involved in this process? Because the Holy Spirit convicts and the Holy Spirit gives understanding. We can't convict people. We can't help people to understand. Only the Spirit can do that. I can't transform a heart. Only God can do that, right? So as Paul shared the good news, the Holy Spirit was working in mighty, mighty ways as they heard the good news, saw their need for a Savior, and embraced Jesus Christ. So here's what that means for us. We should do our part in sharing the message while fervently asking the Spirit to do His part. We do our part sharing the message. There's power in the gospel. But we also fervently ask the Holy Spirit of God to do His part. And perhaps... Perhaps that's the missing element in the church in America. We got buildings, don't we? We got programs. We've got Bible studies. We got information. Why are we losing our nation? Why are we statistically losing our own children as Christian families? Every generation, the percentage of believers in that generation goes down. Why is that happening? Why are we so powerless and irrelevant. Maybe, perhaps, maybe it's because we're trying to do ministry in our own power and strength. How's that working out for the church in America? Not too good, right? If we are going to make a difference with the good news of Jesus Christ, we need to be desperate for the Spirit of God to accompany our sharing of the message, to grip human hearts, to transform lives. We can do nothing apart from the Holy Spirit of God working in and through our church. The old hymn says it like this, All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. And it's time that we glorify God the Father by sharing the gospel uh, centered on the work of Christ the Son in the power of the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit. The unseen partner of the gospel. You've heard the old adage, haven't you? If you see a turtle on a fence post, you know he had some help getting there. Right? 
You ever see someone making a difference with the good news of Jesus Christ? They're getting some help. If you ever see a church that is seeing people saved and baptized and discipled, it's because they have some help. The help of the Holy Spirit of God. So would you just commit with me? Would you just commit as as an individual believer, as a family, as a congregation? Would you commit with me to daily ask the Holy Spirit to fill up your life? Confess your sin and then ask the Spirit just to fill you up and empower you and be that unseen partner as you have spiritual conversations sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the point. Here's what I want you to walk away with as we kind of sum all of this up and bring it to a conclusion. Christians that share the good news and the power of the Holy Spirit will be impossible to ignore. I I hate being ignored. I do. I really do. I hate it that, that, by and large, our culture is ignoring the church. But if Christians, in the power of the Spirit, will share the good news, we will be impossible to ignore. Some may reject our message, some may embrace our message, but they will not ignore us anymore, amen? That's what our nation needs.